Hey, welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gates? For the love of God, come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rain and Morale. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style, with sarcasm, tenacity, maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed laugh, smile, or maybe even finally getting the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hey all, welcome to the Rona Morale podcast. How are you? Hi, Rona. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. And thank you for inviting us to, to join your podcast today. Oh, you're very welcome. So for everybody listening, I'm delighted to have Gail with me here today. He's from um, Tobacco Free Portfolios. And you might think, well, that's a bit strange. What's what's all that about? Well, recently I've been kind of posting and talking about what actions we can take as everyday individuals. And I was really profoundly impacted by what um, the Tobacco Free Portfolios was, was doing. And we'll come on to talk about that. But to introduce Gail, Gail um, joined the organisation in February this year. Um, but before that, for 10 years, worked with the UN Nationals Development Programme, um, developing mostly into obviously the finance sector. You hold a number of board and advisory roles for nonprofits, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and I know that you led a team um, for the kind of tobacco, what, if I translate it into roller terms, the, the, the people at the end who are actually making the cigarettes, what impact it has on deforestation, their lifestyles, their communities, and actually showing them a way that they could shift change from producing tobacco products to alternatives. Um, I know you're super passionate as well about all things international development and environmental conservation in, in oceans as well, specifically um, oceans. And of course, you've written a plethora of amazing articles and journals um, around this whole topic. So welcome and thank you again for joining me. Well, thank you, Rona, for a very generous introduction. Well, for those listening, I haven't even touched on half of what Gail has done, but um, that just gives you a flavour of, of, of Gail's background and, and what, what, what um, she's done. So what I'd love to start with, Gail, is just talking two main topics, really. Obviously, one about tobacco-free portfolios, who you are, where you came about and what you do. And then secondly, we'll kind of go on to the, the lesser known impacts, uh, um, not health impacts of smoking and, and COP26. So please tell us a bit more about your organisation and what goes on. Oh, well, thanks, Rona. So tobacco-free portfolios, who are we and what do we do? So we are a small non-profit organisation that works collaboratively with the financial sector. So with banks, with asset management firms, with pension providers, with insurance companies, and we encourage them to reevaluate re their commercial relationships with tobacco companies. So we ask them not to in, lend to, or insure tobacco companies. And why do we do that? Well, there are 
many, many reasons, which we can come on to in, a, in just a moment. I mean, I think one of the most striking statistics is that tobacco is on track to kill 1 billion people this century. That's over 8 million people annually die uh, from uh, uh, the consumption of tobacco or from exposure to, to tobacco smoke, which is a right. really shocking statistic and far higher than, than those, unfortunately, that have died from COVID. We were founded just over 10 years ago by uh, a radiation oncologist in Australia, Dr. Bronwyn King, when she found out um, as a radiation oncologist that her pension was being invested in tobacco companies, she was utterly horrified and uh, uh, went forth uh, on a mission to ensure that the finance sector was part of the solution rather than part of, of the problem. And my own interest in, in tobacco really comes um, from my previous work with the United Nations. You mentioned Rona, um, uh, you know, my, my work beforehand. Um, so while I was working with the UN, one of my projects was to lead a small team uh, working with smallholder tobacco farmers in Zambia to help them to transition to alternative farm and non-farm livelihoods, much better, more sustainable livelihoods. And I can tell you from my own experience that tobacco farming in no way represents a route out of poverty for the family right. communities that farm it. Um, and, you know, I also saw with my own eyes how tobacco farming contributes to so much environmental destruction as well. So for example, tobacco farmers have to go out uh, into the forest to mm. cut down wood in order to build the fires that they need to cure tobacco leaves, you know, right. leaves are cured. So it's not just, you know, valuable arable land that you're using for a non-food crop in a food mm. secure country, you're actually destroying additional forests to make it. So these, you know, these were uh, challenges from a development perspective that I was very concerned about and, and why I was pleased to join the organisation and help them in their, in their mission. And can I ask you then, what sort of um, alternatives were you able to offer those local communities and, and what did they shift into? Oh, so a variety, you know, local people are, you know, they were amazingly focused and knowledgeable about what they wanted to do. And the main constraint was access to finance. Um, yeah. Tobacco companies um, operate a very slick system whereby they promise to buy all of the crop um, at a low price. Um, and they're able to provide credit and inputs to local farmers in a way that the local financial sector is not able to provide. But mm. we were working with local cooperatives and local financial institutions. Farmers were interested in growing um, a lot of ground nuts was very popular. Um, you know, it's a, a crop that keeps well and there's growing demand for for ground nuts to make into peanut butter and, and other products, uh, other vegetable crops. Um, some were interested in moving into dairy farming, some also into uh, fish farming, tilapia in particular. So a variety of, of, um, of different livelihoods. And were you able to, after a period of transition, show that financially it could just be as 
secure, consistent, and was able to then sustain the communities? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, I think one of the challenges uh, uh, that many communities face, um, it's it's access to, to credit, but also that, you know, the, the tobacco companies offer to buy all of their crop, but at a but at a low price. So if you can work with um, you know local cooperatives to ensure that farmers are able to uh, sell the entirety of their farm crop, you know their groundnuts or their blueberries or whatever it might be, you know then yes, they can make a much better living and a more sustainable living. Fantastic, and I think that's good to hear because I think often we we, we talk about let's transition. The poorest of people who are all just genuinely trying to make a living, as you say, it's all about the, the, the finance to make them more environmental. But then really, that's what um, tobacco free portfolios is doing is it's actually addressing the front end and the investment into those sectors, isn't it? No, I mean, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we we work with collaboratively with financial institutions to raise awareness of the many problems associated with tobacco. So we all know about the public health harms. We all know that tobacco is bad for us. And we know that, you know, it creates many health problems. But we also try to raise awareness of the many other problems associated with tobacco production and consumption. So um, in countries like Zambia, Zimbabwe, uh, Malawi, others, uh, tobacco farming is associated with child labor and relies on child labor. So I think financial institutions are increasingly aware of and interested in environmental issues. And some of the environmental concerns around tobacco are less well known. So for example, tobacco filters are the world's number one littered item worldwide. And 5.6 trillion cigarette filters um, are are used every year and 4.5 trillion of those cigarette filters are just thrown away irresponsibly. It's the last sort of acceptable form of litter, if you Mm. will. And the vast majority of those end up in our oceans, on our beaches, in our rivers, where they harm wildlife. They're made of plastic, so they don't biodegrade. Um, In Zambia, as I mentioned, countries um, and in many other developing countries, tobacco is associated with deforestation, which is a leading cause of climate change. So I think, you know, many financial institutions under pressure now from consumers, from pension plan holders are being uh, encouraged to take environmental and sustainability considerations more into account. And our job really is to raise awareness of some of the environmental uh, uh, challenges or, or, or impacts associated with tobacco. It's not just about public health, it's about so many other things as well. In the UK, for example, it costs mm. local councils £44 million every year to clean up tobacco litter. And so, you know, I think many people are legitimately asking whether that should be um, a price that local councils pay, taxpayers like all of us um, have to bear, or whether tobacco companies themselves should assume some of those financial costs on their own balance sheets. Because it's quite interesting with with that comparison, similarly with, with, with litter, actually the end user is the person 
creating that, i.e. not putting it in a bin or stubbing out on the floor or, or whatever. But actually, so much gets put onto the end user of all of these, be it home energy or food waste, whatever. You do wonder whether you could get to that point. Are there any cases where, especially with the environmental impacts, but certainly within your sector, where companies are being held to account and they are having to pay that price? Or is that not happening yet? Well, I think this was a big issue, you know, at COP26, the climate change conference. I'm based in Edinburgh, so I was able to attend some of, uh, of the events just down the road in Glasgow. And of course, you know, this is a big issue that many companies like fossil fuel companies, like tobacco companies, internalize all the profits, but externalize all of their damages, whether that's car- through carbon emissions or through environmental waste of various kinds. And I think many people are increasingly questioning whether that's a a fair business model and whether carbon pricing or other um, environmental taxes or fees should be imposed on on various kinds of companies in order to address some of these environmental harms that all of us pay the price for in the end, whether, you know, we smoke or not or or whatever. So I think, you know, we're increasingly going to see um, uh, public pressure in some of these areas Mm. in the next uh, few years. So say for someone like me that wants to, you know, look at my portfolio and assess, I guess, there might be things like, well, if I'm doing a lot in tobacco, not realising or fossil fuels, what happens if I move my money out of that into greener alternatives and more sustainable options? Some people are worried and their gut instinct is it's never going to make any money. So if I'm retiring in the next 10 to 15 years, what what's the point? Because that's where the money's being made. How how do you approach that? How How can you help us? Well, I think the good news is that we found in our research that you don't need to invest in tobacco to make strong and stable returns, that many of the pension providers um, that we have worked with, once they have um, uh, gone tobacco free, they've actually made better returns than um than with tobacco. So there was one study of US pension plans that had gone tobacco free over a 10 year period uh, Mm. versus those which had retained tobacco within their portfolio. And the ones that um, had gone tobacco free outperformed those that had uh, retained tobacco. And if you actually look at the share price of tobacco companies over the last uh, five years, you see that it's actually fallen by around half. So it's not necessarily the sound investment, but it used to be in all of the risks that I've been talking about, like environmental risk, reputational risk, regulatory risk. These are all risks that are intensifying on tobacco companies. Those risks are only going to get bigger and bigger. And so um, they are also likely to continue to contribute to um, hopefully to a, a share price decline. And there are many, many other ways to invest your money and many uh, providers do offer sustainable alternatives. Do check whether mm. those sustainable alternatives are tobacco free. 
because sometimes just because a fund is labeled sustainable doesn't automatically mean it's tobacco free, unfortunately. But there are, you can go to our website, tobaccofreefolios.org, and um, you can look at the signatories to our tobacco free finance pledge. In 2018, we launched the tobacco free finance pledge, which invites financial companies to sign up to the pledge um, and uh, uh, encourage others to do so as well and join them on that journey. And you have a list of over 175 financial institutions there that are tobacco free. And we are adding more all the time in our growing community. So um, that's amazing. And is it, is it true that um, with, within the organisation you've managed to move nearly a trillion dollars or pounds out of tobacco and into non-tobacco? Oh, much more than that, Rona, which is fantastic. So since 2018, when we launched the Tobacco Free Finance Pledge at the United Nations General Assembly in New York, um, we have uh, uh, now... Uh, worked with 175 financial institutions from over 20 countries around the world, representing $12 trillion US dollars in assets. I was slightly short there. So we're trying to get to 20 trillion, of course, uh, but we're we're on our way. There's more joining all the time. But yes, it's a, a big achievement, but certainly more work to be done. And I suppose there's individuals as well with your own pension or whatever. I suppose you could go to your HR department and to your head of business if you, you know, I'm just a single entrepreneur. But if you work in an organisation, you could simply ask, couldn't you say, what actually, could you tell us the pensions that you invest in? Where where are they going? And, and, you know, because... You enrol in a pension, don't you? But you never think to ask these questions. You're like, oh, I do eight, they do, they they match and away they go. You don't really oh, investigate. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I would encourage anyone to do that, um, to please, you know, ask their pension provider what their policies are on tobacco, um, encourage them to go tobacco free, ask them whether they have any tobacco free funds. Um, you know, I think... What's really important um, uh, for people to be aware of as well, especially those in the public sector who have Mm. uh, public um, uh, uh, pension plans, is that um, according to the United Nations Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which is a very long word for saying that there there is a UN treaty on tobacco control, which commits... um, the signatory countries, and there's over 180 countries worldwide that have signed this UN Treaty on Tobacco Control. It commits them to progressively implementing stronger tobacco control measures over time. But one of the clauses in that UN Treaty is that um, governments and their affiliates should not have financial interests in tobacco companies. Right. um, So not many public pension plans know that. Uh, Public sector entities should not have any financial interests in tobacco companies. So trying to raise awareness of that, like local authority pension schemes, you know, can on that basis say, well, look, there's a UN treaty, the UK government has signed up to it, we shouldn't really be investing in in tobacco. So would it be, you know, for people who don't get the the benefit of a a better private pension, but they're involved in the UK government 
enrolled pension, the the, the one that's kind of compulsory now. Um, can everyone out there be safe in the knowledge that none of that is invested in tobacco? Well, um, I'm not sure which one you're you're referring to specifically, but if you look at our website, Nest, the National Employment and Savings Trust in the UK, um, is one of our signatories and, and and has been tobacco free for a long time. So there's there's many that are, um, and um, okay. USS for the universities is tobacco free. So um, there's many that are, and and some that unfortunately aren't there yet. But we're working with them to try and uh, uh, encourage them yeah. to start that journey. So if you had any sort of negative um impacts some, some good old british fights with um you know the tobacco companies how are they dealing with your progressive movement in this space are they are they trying new tactics are they just thinking it doesn't matter because as you said earlier there's trillions of cigarettes smoked a year yeah 5.6 trillion cigarettes smoked every year i mean we we do not engage uh, as an organization with tobacco companies. So we don't have any direct contact with them. And in fact, the United Nations recommends a policy of non-engagement with tobacco oh. companies. Um, in terms of you know, their strategies and tactics, I mean, some of them will try to portray themselves um, as uh, strong leaders on uh, the environment or on climate and some of them do score strongly on uh, ESG, environmental, social and governance methodologies. Um, we argue that those methodologies are flawed because it's it should they should measure what products and services a company makes rather than how well that company is run and whether you know they just because a company is um, putting more women on its boards and yeah. is using less uh, plastic in its wrappers doesn't change you know the the fundamental um, uh, uh, end result which is what products and services is the company making and in the case yeah. of tobacco companies they make a product that kills people and leads to the premature death of two out of every three of its customers um, we've seen a lot of tobacco companies um, putting forward the transition argument mm -hmm. So that they are transitioning away from traditional combustible tobacco products towards, you know, vapes. You know, we've seen a huge rise in e-cigarette use, especially yeah. amongst young people recently, which is a cause for concern. Um, you know, in the UK, we saw Philip Morris International acquire the pharmaceutical company Vectora recently. Um, I mean, there are a couple of things that we would say in, in response to sort of the transition argument. And the first mm. is that tobacco companies continue to make the vast majority of their, their revenues over three quarters from traditional combustible tobacco products. And yeah. they continue to bid for new factory licenses and build new factories in the developing world for traditional tobacco products. Um, and on e-cigarettes and vapes, you know, we we also say that just because um, 
the tobacco companies will tell you these products are less harmful, but less yeah. harmful does not equal safe. Um, and these or less environmentally damaging. Correct. So, you know, these products um, are, you know, are highly addictive and expose users to all sorts of chemicals. And yes, you're right, Rona, they are still associated with a lot of environmental waste because they're composed of both electronic um, yeah. and plastic components that are very hard to recycle. Um, not many municipalities, much less in the developing world, would have the facilities in place to, to recycle. Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, we, you know, we say tobacco companies, um, you know, continue to um, resist regulatory changes yeah. um, and they should be judged by their, their actions. Of course. And I think it's such a huge challenge. Because I know, obviously, your organisation is here to, to, to drive awareness and divert, you know, investments. But I think, you know, smoking is such a global you know in every corner of the earth that even I've ever traveled to and I've been to some rural remote places people smoke um and so has, has there ever been it's random but has there ever been a uh something innovative where people have taken the filters and been able to make a product or service or something out of it or a secondary I don't know well, probably not, because most of them just end up in the beach, you know, on the beach and yeah. in the waterways. You know, it's it's the most littered item in the world. But to your first point, I mean, you, you spoke about smoking being present in every corner of the world. And um, actually, 80 percent of the world's smokers are now located in low and middle income countries. They're located in developing countries where public health systems have the least capacities to cope. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a huge, a huge development challenge as well. You know, and it, 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 they affect people's health in their prime productive years and mean they can't contribute to the economy um, yeah. of, of, of their country. Um, and, you know, you see that in countries like Indonesia, it's, it's overwhelmingly children yeah starting to smoke you know uh, people start to smoke at a very very young age um early teens um and and they become addictive so um you know uh, smoking um advertising in the developing world is much more lax and yes i've noticed that yeah and it's a it's a huge concern for us yeah um, you touched earlier on, obviously, you, you guys were at, were at COP. What was your kind of, what was your big takeaway from it? And, and has it helped your cause and your fight um, to do what you need to do? Were you able to take things to another level? I think, you know, uh, everyone will pour over the, the final outcome document um, from COP26 and, and have differing views on, on whether the 1.5 degrees uh, C limit for global warming is, is within reach. But for our work specifically, I think there were a couple of, of bright spots. Um, right. 
The first is that in, during the first week, there was a major announcement to combat deforestation. So that was an announcement that was signed up to by more than 100 countries worldwide, covering over 85% of, of the world's forests with a commitment to, to end deforestation by, by 2030. Um, you know, for us, you know, it's, it's not well known that tobacco contributes to deforestation um, and deforestation is one of the leading causes of climate change. So having that agreement in place, I think, um, does provide us with further uh, useful material to, to yeah. pack financial institutions and, and, and governments as well to take yeah. action and, and move away from, from tobacco. Are you able to... Um sort of put us you know because we think of deforestation and we think of you know trees and furniture and, and and agriculture being one of the biggest are you able to put a figure on what amount of deforestation is caused by the tobacco industry so um tobacco is responsible for five percent of deforestation in low and middle income countries specifically so okay was the data i think from 2019 um, though in individual countries, the figure can be much higher, higher, depending on how much tobacco that particular country is is producing. So, for example, in Bangladesh, the, the figure is much higher. Right. Um, the second bright spot, I hope, uh, from COP26 was that there was a global alliance of financial institutions committed to net zero. They made announcements um, to align their portfolios with net zero by 2050. Um, again, it's a commitment that has come under a great deal of scrutiny. Um, you know, what's underneath it? What action plans? How will it be measured? But from our point of view, um, the fact that you know financial institutions have indicated a public commitment to align their portfolios with net zero, that tobacco does have significant climate and environmental impacts. It's a powerful tool, I hope, for us to again push the case that they should be moving away from tobacco. No, exactly. And I think, you know, it certainly enlightened me more um, just the amount of deforestation due to um tobacco production and five might not sound a lot compared to you know the farming and agriculture but on scale that's that's a huge amount of of loss and like you say in some countries much much higher and um, what would be what would be the biggest win for you guys now if you could you know wave that wand or get that that institute on board what, what would be the thing that would really turn a corner for you well, I think for us, you know, um, when the big players in the market uh, waved the flag and announced their commitment to go tobacco free, you know, the big systemically important players in the market, that would have a huge signaling signaling impact on on others. Yeah, so, you know, we do have some big, well known names amongst our list but there's others that are still laggards. Um, I won't mention any names. Please ask me to, but I won't. You know, some of them are, are well known to all of us, are still invested in tobacco in various ways. And, you know, we, we would love them to join us in the journey to tobacco-free finance. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it'd be easy for me to ask you the names, but the reality is um, we're still combined into old school ways of doing business and the way shareholders and profits and return on investment. So what's refreshing for me is that you do already have so many. Some of them might be smaller, up and coming, VCs, family institutions, whatever. But in the long run, the reality is these these big boys have have got a ticking clock against them, against be it tobacco, fossil fuels, uh, you know, whatever. Um, What... From from your organization's point of view and for anyone kind of listening, outside of checking where your investments are going on, pensions, and maybe having a chat with your organization that you, you work in, what else could we do as individuals? Obviously, those that smoke don't smoke, but what else could we do? No, I think if, if people are already checking um you know, with their pension providers or if they're investing money elsewhere, um, you know, really being mindful about uh, how they are investing that money, that would already represent a a huge shift. Um, I mean, a a huge positive shift. Yeah. You know, if if people are genuinely concerned about um, about tobacco and its impact on society and and the environment, I mean, there are various um, ways they they can be involved. Um, For example, at the moment, there's a UK government consultation open on single use plastic. It covers tobacco filters. Please, you know, Ah, I didn't realise that. Yep, it opened this weekend. Please respond and share your views. Um, You know, tobacco filters are plastic. They serve absolutely no purpose with regard to, um, you know, uh, um, making um, the cigarette uh, safer or more enjoyable. They're just a cosmetic thing. So, yeah. you know, to, to share your, your views. And, and there are other organizations, nonprofit organizations that are engaged in, in mm. various ways um, in sort of public health and, and environmental debates and, and that we work with as well. Yeah, because it really surprises me then that some of the big players who are still investing in that sector probably are sort of going, well, we're, we're working with those that are stay, saying they're more sustainable, et cetera. But when child labour's involved, that's a really tough, surely there must be, and again, no names, but surely there must be people out there who are actively investing in child labour, to, to put it simply. Well, the US Department of Labour um, uh, publishes data every year um, and it reports that child labour is used in tobacco farming in 16 countries worldwide. And you can find that list online yeah. quite easily. And because of the way tobacco farming works, um, you know, leaves are, are sourced from a variety of both small and large scale producers and then amalgamated together. Um, virtually no cigarette can be 100% guaranteed to be free from child labour. So it's a a huge problem. And, you know, in particular, the UK works with um, many developing countries like Malawi, um, 
you know, where, where child labor is, is a huge problem. You know, we provide development assistance to these countries, um, you know, and it's, it's a pity that our financial institutions are continuing to, to invest in, in yeah. a product which, you know, uh, creates such harms, both at the very beginning of, of, of its life and at the very end uh, as yeah. well. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier around, um, I, I suppose that the UK government gets a lot of stick, whether Conservative, Labour, whoever is in, the more conversations I have like this, the more you realise, you know, that they're getting involved in lots of different things. But there's part of you that goes, they shouldn't have to be paying £44 million pounds of the local government. They shouldn't have to be getting involved in these things because they shouldn't exist. But life is life and they and they do exist so it, it's hard to it all feels quite overwhelming but I think what I love about what you guys are doing is you're so focused it's like right tobacco free portfolios move the investments education awareness and I can I can only imagine in five ten years time where you're going to be if you had a vision for that what would that look like <laughs> Oh, no. Well, of course, we want 100% of financial institutions to have moved away from, from tobacco. Um, so, of course, that's where we want to be. And we want to shift that dial as quickly as possible. Um, mm. And, you know, it's aligned with the vision of many governments around the world. Yes, they do get stick for not doing enough. And I can sit here and say that they should be doing more. Many do have visions to be smoke free by 2030, um, you know, that includes the UK government and many countries around the world. Um, the key is not to, uh, uh, to ensure that a new generation doesn't become addicted to such a terrible product. And so, you know, it's really important to work with the full range of, you know, organizations, educators, financial institutions and others to make this vision of a, of you know a smoke-free UK and world by 2030 a, a reality we all yeah. play and so if if one of these big players kind of came out you know you said earlier about the, the the UN and you guys you know you don't necessarily interact with them at some point do you think actually when we talk collaboration the hardest collaborations are our absolute opposite as we would see it, and what well, I'm putting words in my mouth, enemy, if you like. In what way do you think there could be a an agreeable transition or a way to collaborate with them? Or is it just they're going to keep doing what they're doing until they're absolutely forced out of the situation and we're just going to focus on us? Well, as I said before, the, you know, the UN recommends a policy of non-engagement with tobacco companies because the UN right to human health um, is incompatible with, um, with tobacco companies and the right. products that they make. Um, you know, for us, the only acceptable outcome would be for them to immediately cease what they are doing. Um, and, you know, the reality is that they continue to um, oppose a raft of legislation which is designed to uh, tighten uh, restrictions around tobacco production and yeah. consumption. Um, and, you know, 
they continue to derive the vast majority of their products, uh, 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 revenue, sorry, through traditional tobacco products. So, you know, um, under these circumstances, no, a policy of non-engagement is... Oh, no, I've lost you. Can you hear me again now? Now I can hear you. Sorry, I've had a new laptop and it's been a bit naughty. So um, if we could go back a little bit, just I'll edit that bit out. Don't worry, um, this bit out. But um, yeah, if we could just, sorry, sorry about that. I probably won't edit it out. This is just real life. But um, yeah, you, you were sort of talking about in reality what they're doing and the vision would be for them to stop. But yeah, no, I mean, the UN uh, is very clear that the, the right to human health is incompatible with what tobacco companies produce. Mm. And tobacco companies continue to oppose a raft of legislation, which is designed to tighten restrictions um, around tobacco production and tobacco consumption. Um, and they continue to derive the vast majority of their product of their revenues through traditional tobacco products. They continue to market their uh, products um, overwhelmingly to youth. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, this transition argument and, and you know, the, the, the whole market around e-cigarettes, um, you yeah. know, they, they've aggressively targeted young people with those products by putting them in attractive, um, colorful packaging, by giving them flavors like bubblegum candy. You know, you're not telling me that those are targeted towards consumers in their 30s and 40s and 50s. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. Exactly. Um, you know, it's to hook a whole new generation on a highly addictive product. So, of course, you know, there has to be a policy of non-engagement with these kinds of, of practices in place. In the UK and Bristol, there was a case recently where um, samples of e-cigarettes were being given out and young people were not being asked for ID to prove that they were wow. 18 with, the, with, um, with these free samples. So, you know, to say that they're supporting users to switch uh, products, you know, from uh, more harmful tobacco, traditional tobacco towards e-cigarettes, is simply not true. They're trying to hook a whole new generation on, on, on the new product. Yeah. Well, listen, fascinated by all of this. And I think what I've learned today, and hopefully the listeners are, there's a couple of things you can do about it that are really, really easy. So go check out your pensions. Also, you know, speak to your, your employers, but also the awareness around the environmental impact. And as you rightly say, everyone just immediately goes to health. But understanding the deforestation the poverty the child labor and i think thank you so much for bringing that um to to the audience and, and raising awareness and thank you so so much for coming on the podcast and i've i've no doubt bronwyn and you and the team will do amazing things and you'll you'll get all of those investments moved Oh, well, thank you so much, Rona, for inviting us to share our story. And we'd love others to, to join us in our work. So please do check out our website, tobaccofreeportfolios.org. And love to hear from you. And uh, uh, thanks again for the invitation. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Gail. Thank you.
So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Rony Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.